Hey guys, it's Sammy and Robbie back again to tell you about another upcoming con. And we're super excited about this one. Mm-hmm. It's another Indiana one. This one is Pop Con, Indie Pop Con to be exact. And it's going to be in Indianapolis, again at the Convention Center. Indiana Convention Center. Right in downtown Indianapolis. And Robbie will be there April 26th through the 28th. Yes. We were just at the Indiana Comic-Con, so if you missed us, Mm -hmm. you get a chance to meet us again Mm -hmm. at PopCon. Yes. Well, at least Robbie. At least me. Ashley will be there. Oh, yeah. Ashley will be there. That's an exciting thing. Ashley will be there, so you get to meet a lot of us on the network. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two-thirds. Two-thirds of it, yes. Mm -hmm. So, if you're coming to the show, please stop by the Limitless Broadcasting booth. Mm -hmm. We're always excited to see you. All right. Oh, my God. Well, I guess we'll see you guys at the show. Bye. Bye. Nineteen Fifty Studios is producing its first ever cartoon for a streaming service. Stable City is about a woman named Karen. She is a police officer in this crazy town where everyone's trying to be the next star or influencer. All right, this is the Duplass City pilot written by Kelly Driscoll. Good morning, Dupla. Here's some surprising news. Once again, Dupla City has been named the most desirable place to live by the Dupla Times for the 10th straight year in a row. Mostly, I hope that it speaks to women and we can all find like this common ground. So please go to Kickstarter slash Dupla City. It's called Dupla City. D-O-O-P-L-A City. We're doing the starter campaign to gain interest and to hopefully find some strategic partners. He turns the light off in his office and shuts the door. End of episode. All it takes is faith and trust. Oh, and something I forgot. Dust. Just a little bit of pixie dust. Welcome, foolish mortals, to the Pixie Dust Twins podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Sammy. Please stand clear of the doors. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas. Shall we begin? It's time to get things started on the most sensational, inspirational, celebrational, Welcome, Pixie Dusters. We're your favorite hosts. I'm Sammy. And I'm Ashley. Welcome to the Pixie Dust Twins podcast, produced by Limitless Broadcasting. Make sure you go to limitlessbroadcasting.com after the show and check it out. Yes. Mm -hmm. And this month, oh my goodness, we started off last week with our month of Tim Burton, the Disney Halloween king Mm -hmm. when it comes to Disney Halloween animation. And one very weird weird live action we'll talk about next week but we're not going to talk about the crazy weird we're going to talk about the weird we love Mm -hmm. today we are going to talk about the movie that some people think is a halloween movie and some people think is a christmas movie but either way it's fantastic it's Mm -hmm. called 
Tim Burton, A Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Sure Woo! is. Yes. <laughs> I tend to watch it both seasons because yes. why not? <laughs> of course. Because <laughs> it has both in it. Now, granted. Exactly. The Santa Claus is not your typical Santa because it's a Tim Burton nope. Santa. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But still, it has the, the jolly Christmas yeah. scene and all that, you know, at the beginning. So mm-hmm. you could arguably say you could watch it at Easter, too, because the Easter bunny is in it for like two seconds. Yeah. And an unfortunate two seconds for him. But yes, yeah, that poor it. Easter bunny. I hope they got him back to the right land. There's like a 50 percent chance they didn't. So the Easter bunny yeah, could those be anywhere. Two, those three. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or he's still in the woods somewhere. I mean, really? Oh, goodness. Oh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Mm -hmm. We sure are. So we're going to do more than just talk about what we like about Mm -hmm. Nightmare Before Christmas, which is starting to become a trend for us. We're not just talking about our opinions, but we like giving you some research behind the scenes. Look at us. Look at us. We're morphing. We're becoming more three-dimensional than Mm -hmm. Mm two-dimensional. So we both did some research, but all the research on here is Mm -hmm. that we're going to go through... Sammy put up this morning and it's, you pretty much find the same stuff. So exactly. mm-hmm. take it away, Sammy. How, let's, let's start this off. Okay. So we did discuss this a little bit when we were talking about Tim Burton, just the person yes. last week. This movie is highly, highly interesting because first of all, as Ashley stated, it's called Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. And Tim Burton was not the director he was a producer on the movie. Uh, yeah, this this whole thing is kind of a hot mess a little bit trying to get it to the finish line. Let's just let's just <laughs> preface it with that. So he did have his friend Henry. Is it Selick or Selick? I can't remember. I feel like it's Selick. I was going to uh, double check yeah. it. Okay. Anyway, Henry <laughs> made his directorial debut. And like I said, Tim Burton was the producer, but Henry had worked with Tim Burton in the past. And I think if I remember right, they actually met at Disney. They were both animators at that Mm -hmm. time. And both, I don't know how to say it nicer because the only word I can think of right now is weirdos. So they were both a little odd. Maybe that's a nicer way to say it. Not your typical Disney people. They were not Mm -hmm. really into the animation style that they were having to do at Disney, which is understandable because like we said, they worked on some movies that were very cutesy. You know, the Black Cauldron, that animation is very cutesy, The Fox and the Hound. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get it when you look at where they went. (laughs) Why that wasn't really their style. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so Tim Burton, actually did write the premise. So he wrote a poem where he basically took Twas the Night Before Christmas and rethought it. And then he came up with, obviously, the story that we know now, The Nightmare Before Christmas. And he was inspired, they said, by basically going into its consumerism because he was going into department stores and it still happens today. And you see Halloween and you see Christmas and they kind of encroach on each other. Mm-hmm. And he kind of was inspired by that idea and then wrote the poem. And so he pitched the poem way back in 1983 as a stop motion film to Disney. Who was like, mm, nah, we're not really interested in it. 
mm, we're going to pass. But they own the rights to it. So Tim Burton, you know, being sad, got fired from Disney after Frank and Weenie, which we will discuss next week. <sighs> uh, not really in along with Disney. He left. He went and did his own thing. And then he kept thinking about this poem and thinking about this movie. And he really wanted to produce it. So after he did Batman and, you know, was getting really well recognized as a director, he came back to Disney and he's like, yo, can I buy it back? Because I want to produce this. And now Disney's sitting there like, hmm, hmm, look at all these things that you've done since you left. Nah, we're going to just go ahead and fund it, okay? So you can do it under us. Oh, Disney. <laughs> Disney, Disney, Disney. I mean, are you surprised? I, no, I am not. <sighs> it just, it makes me laugh when I think of Disney's silliness with all of this. But at least they yeah. came around to to being a part of the Tim Burton world, kind of. <laughs> it's a little bit of a struggle. <laughs> uh, all right. So in the original poem, there were only three characters. It was Jack. It was Zero, which I'm so happy Zero was in it because I love Zero. Oh, Zero is amazing. And Santa Claus. And that makes sense because it's a poem, not a freaking whole movie. So that yeah. tells you right there how many characters they added when they started actually producing the film. So I thought mm -hmm. that was really cool. It went from three characters to like, I don't even know how many total characters there are in the movie. Do you? They made... It's a lot of puppets. I know that. I have that down here. It's like oh 200 puppets. Yeah, but like character-wise, if you just if you count people who spoke a lot, yeah, like half I mean, of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's a lot more characters included in it. Mm -hmm. So well, especially you pull in Sally and exactly. her inventor and mm -hmm. that weird that we got okay I, I know we're going through the history but when we get to the story we need to talk about jack and sally because everyone loves their like all the the nightmare before christmas people love their love story and when yes. i was re-watching it again i'm like what loves what what just happened like how did that it was like bam and all of a sudden At they the were end. in love i'm like what what I'm so confused. There's like a backstory there that tim didn't give us and i'm like i need the backstory <laughs> anyhow yeah well, it wasn't even really, we'll get in. I'm not, no. We'll, okay, get, we'll get into it. that we'll in get a into second. It. All right. So, <laughs> all right. <Sorry>. So, <laughs> so, going back to a little bit about why stop motion, right? I mean, mm -hmm. Tim Burton started as a 2D animator for Disney, and then he was directing live actions. And Vincent, Vincent is a live, is, is a stop motion, yes. yes. But this is even before he did Vincent. Okay. So, we're okay. Okay. back in time to the small okay. Tim Burton when he was a wee child. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> I found a couple different references to what influenced him, and all of them made sense to me. So, the Rankin Bass Christmas specials were a big influence on Tim Burton, which, just as a reminder, that's like Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, The Year Without a Santa Claus. And they're. <laughs> They're classics at Christmas. Yes. There's a they did a lot more than these. When I actually oh, pulled yeah. up the Rankin Bass list, mm -hmm. I I don't think I've seen even half of what they actually produced. Honestly, yeah, it's insane. Look those up. Yeah, you should because there's a lot more than I realized. I've seen I at least five. Like, what? Yeah, so they've they've done a lot of stuff. They're very famous for this. Even Elf, even though it's not a Disney movie, we're not talking about you know Christmas movies, but they were also inspired by it, which you can see when you watch the movie yeah. too. So. They're a big cultural influence. Love it. 
And apparently there were also some other stop motion movies back in like the 50s. It's a movie produced by this man named Nathan Geron called hmm. 20 Million Miles to Earth and Don Chafee's Jason and the Argon Argonauts. Argonauts. It's it's a Greek story. So he turned yeah. a Greek story. Jason is supposed to be a demigod. I believe he's the demigod son of Zeus. I'd have to check. Okay. And he like goes and battles these Argonauts. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I did not really look these up. So those also had stop motion and they were created by Ray Harry Hawson. Hmm. And apparently he was a big deal with stop motion. I think he was one of the first big animators for it. And they actually did like little like Easter eggs to him and some of the stop motion movies, Tim Burton would down the line when he was crazy. Yeah. So I was just like, that's really cool. Okay. Now we mentioned Vincent. And again, we are not talking about Vincent today. We will, we will get into Vincent next week, but <laughs> this was the first little short, like Ashley said, stop motion that Tim Burton actually did. And he did film that in 1982 when he was still at Disney. So this Nightmare Before Christmas was not his first stop motion feature. Well, it's no. the first film feature, but it's not the first little thing that Tim Burton produced with it. But six yeah. minutes to, how long is this movie? It's like an hour and, is it an hour and a half? Is it? Oh, time? Nightmare Before Christmas? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I want to say it's like a 90 minute movie. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, I can look it up minutes. to make sure. So yeah, accurate. Yes, because there's there's a big difference between I did a six minute shorts with stop motion to huh, I'm going to do a full length feature film in stop motion. Huge difference. Oh, an hour and 16. So less okay. than 90 minutes. OK, so, yeah, again, six minutes to an hour and 16 minutes. Huh, a little bit of a difference there. So Tim with, Burton was definitely ambitious. Well, and Vincent has one main character and random two others and then nightmare before christmas has what'd you say 220 it's it's like puppets. insane how many yes we will we will dive back into that because it's down here someplace but yeah it's insane yeah yeah so. but vincent was really inspired by like these sort of movies that he watched and then obviously like the horror movies and things that he was really into because tim burton is tim burton apparently mm-hmm. he also was inspired by how the grinch stole christmas and mm. I didn't, this was the first time I'd seen that reference. And I was just like, that makes sense because mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that tie in to the themes in the movie. I see it now. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> and ba- because of all these little inspirations he had, like the, the Rankin Bass and then how the Grinch stole Christmas, Tim Burton actually was thinking about making The Nightmare Before Christmas just a TV special originally when he was thinking about it. Huh. It's going to be like 30 minutes. I know, right? Glad it wasn't. I know. It's so much better. <laughs> so much better. Yeah. I was just like, well, I'm glad that plan didn't work out for you because I like well, it. Well, Disney kept it. That's probably why. Mm-hmm. If he bought it back, he probably wouldn't have had to have, he probably wouldn't have had the money to actually make this a feature film. He probably was just wanting mm-hmm. to dip his toe back in to see if he could get there. Mm-hmm. And Disney's like, you know what? I think we're just going to go ahead and let you do a full feature movie under us. <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's more about the money and stuff, which again, we will get into in one second. Uh, so 
I believe I mentioned this before. Danny Elfman was like, mm-hmm. you know, is is one of Tim Burton's favorite people to work with. He frequently collaborates with him. So he had worked with him on the Pee Wee Herman movie and of course Batman and whatnot. And so obviously Danny Elfman made his return for the Nightmare Before Christmas. He wrote all of the songs for the movie before there was a script. <laughs> Again, we're running into some interesting things going on with this movie. They did not have a script. Say this again. They were having to start production and no script. So basically, Danny Elfman sat down with Tim Burton and Tim Burton's like, all right, so we have this scene. This is what's going on. This is what Jack is feeling. Did some sketches for him. Maybe even like drew them on the spot apparently and was like, yeah, this is what I'm thinking. Danny would say, I got it. Okay, go. <laughs> and then like three days later, Danny Elfman would have a whole freaking song made. It's insane. What's this? What's this? That was the first one too. The first song that he wrote it's, and the first thing they filmed. Yes. And what's even funnier is because they did that one first, the what's this includes Christmas scenes, right? So, you know, Disney's giving the money, right? They want to know, what are you guys doing? Can we see some of it? What's happening? And they're like, you know what? This is perfect. So instead of showing the really crazy Tim Burton stuff, they could show this happy Christmas scene. Now, granted, it has a skeleton walking around singing in it, but they have Christmas trees and snow and everyone's happy. So no Disney, Disney was like, said yes. oh, this is cool. Great. Keep it up. Yeah. <laughs> that just, that cracks me up, that whole thing. That that, that was the, the first thing. They're like, yeah, sure. Check it out. What do you think? <laughs> like the song? This is great. Okay. <clears throat> oh, he played Disney. <sighs> and so, I, I'm not mad. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was the whole staff, actually. <laughs> yeah, they all, they played, they yeah, played Disney. Tim Burton, to, to add to the fact, to reiterate the fact that he was not the director, he popped in to check on things. He was sent dailies to see what they were doing. Mm-hmm. But they were... In like the San Francisco Bay Area, working on this, 500 miles away from Burbank, which is where Disney yeah. was, and where Tim Burton was working on the Batman movie. So they were literally isolated. No one's coming to really check on them. Who wants to make the 500 mile drive, right? They had one Disney exec, um, producer that was sitting there watching over them, but otherwise, no one's checking on them. So whatever they sent, that was gonna be it. I mean. That's it. So, yeah, it just nice. Yeah, yeah. So back to Danny Elfman. So he did not do the speaking part. Apparently, he wanted to do the speaking part of Jack Skellington, but it did not work out. Apparently, Danny Elfman is not an actor, but he is an mm. excellent singer. So he did all of the singing parts for our beloved Jack Skellington. So I think that's good. So basically, nice. what he recorded as the the test track made it on. They kept it. He did also voice Beryl from our three little friends who kidnapped Sandy Claus. Mm. And also the clown with the tearaway face, which mm. I did not realize. And I hate that character so much. I don't like clowns. I don't either. And the voice just, I think, makes it worse. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Okay. So uh, since we're on the topic of voices, Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman, voiced Locke, which I could see that because they had just worked together on another movie. Catherine O'Hara, 
who I love. If you don't know, she was Delia in Beetlejuice, Kate McAllister in mm -hmm. Home Alone, and Myra in Schitt's Creek. If you have not seen that, I highly recommend it. I think it's hilarious. You have to have the right kind of humor for it, but you know, since we're doing this stuff, I'm going to, you know, throw out other recommendations for all you <laughs> Disney folks. <laughs> so Catherine O'Hara voiced Shock and she voiced Sally, Aww. one of our main stars. I know. Just I love it. Sally. Me too. She's just, she's great. And we're, we'll talk about her in just one second. So the actual movie, it took three years to complete this film. Well, duh. Years, which hello, exactly. It stop animation. The stop and they motion, had no script. Okay, yes, but they were being. <laughs> I would say they were being relatively productive for not having a finished script when they started. I will say that. I I know, but when when you walk into a project with literally nothing except Tim Burton saying, "Oh, this will be good." It's going to take time. Mm -hmm. The good thing is they had lots of drawings, so they could at least get started on what does the set look like? Because yeah. Tim was very specific about those sort of things. So at least they had that because the sets were enormous, so they could start working on that. But you're right. It's a bit difficult. <sighs> so the stop motion itself took about 18 months. Pre-production storyboarding took a lot of time. I didn't see anything specific. But they literally, if you watch anything about it, storyboard every single like second, basically, which makes sense because when you're doing stop motion, you need to literally know how the character looks constantly to be mm -hmm. accurate when you're actually filming it. So I can't imagine how much work that it was. I have so much, I have so much respect for the animators who can do this. Cause I mm -hmm. have no patience for that. I know, like right? I could not sit there and I mean, I'm not a draw at all, but mm -hmm. like to have to sit there and do tiny little movements, draw the same thing over and over again, but just with the tiniest of movements. No. And then just to add to it with this, okay. They had about 120 people working out with 12 to 17 animators. They literally said that they had close to like a hundred of these people were like the camera operators or something. It was just insane. That is because, crazy. I mean, even just setting up the camera had to be very specific and the camera had to move at certain angles at certain times for certain things. And if they screwed anything up, they had to start all over. I mean, they had like hundreds of lights to do the sets and, and it's just, it's insane. It's, it's literally absolutely insane. crazy. So Oh, we've already said that they started with, they basically filmed all the musical scenes first because that's all they had and before they could do the dialogue and extra things. And the sets themselves, so they were on 19 sound stages. 19 sound stages for this little movie. Lot. Exactly. And they had 230 model sets that were set up. What I thought was interesting, which I didn't really think about it until I was watching like behind the scenes stuff. They much like the Muppets, they had to build the sets up mm -hmm. and they built. Okay. So the Muppets we talked about, well, you had mentioned, right. They had like yeah. openings and things. So they would sometimes mm -hmm. have to walk literally on like a beam. If you were mm -hmm. a live actor to go in yep. between. So in this case, they built trap doors because the animators need to be within two feet. I think it was what they said of every puppet to be able to change it out, adjust it, whatever. So occasionally they had to literally build a trap door. So they would like pop up do their little adjustment and pop back down and then wait and then pop back up to fix it. And I think that's really 
it's it's smart i mean it is it's just ridiculously mm. inventive and mm -hmm. insane and yes. genius all at once yes these people that created it all of them are so it's just it's mind-boggling how smart they are and yeah to do something like this had never been done and they're just like okay so what do we do to make this work okay we'll yeah we'll drive door we build the sets came apart in chunks and it's crazy to think about yeah. oh my gosh when they filmed it they filmed it at 24 frames per second so that means mm. the puppet was moved 24 times in one second so basically in one week they filmed one minute of the movie So at the end of the week, you can watch what you did, and it's one minute. 60 plus 16, so that's 76 minutes, which means 76 weeks. Now, some of it- Is that 18 months? No, Wait, because some of it did not take them as long, because some of it they didn't have to- so they somehow saved a one month time frame. Okay. And the reason is because if you look at some of the shots, some of it, they didn't need to, they could actually just film it directly. They didn't have to yeah. stop because, you know, like the camera swooping in over the town and things. Yeah. They didn't need, obviously, to stop and adjust anything. So they could do that. So I think that's how they saved it. But yeah, they're basically right on time with how long this took them to do. And I mean, the math, the math is correct, people. Yeah. And rarely do I know if the math is correct. <laughs> oh my gosh. It just, oh, it is crazy. <sighs> oh my gosh. So, oh, there's a whole had, other page of notes. Okay. Yeah, I have a lot of stuff on. I love you it. You do. Mm -hmm. So, as I said, they had about 200 puppets for the film. Now, mind you, they're duplicates on puppets because they always had to have backup puppets and yeah and things. Yeah. And I, like I said, I watched this like behind the scenes thing about it and they would pop Jack's head on and off. So they went into, I don't really understand this entirely. Okay, but somehow they went into a computer system with the dialogue, the audio, and they were able to basically have Jack's face is just his head. So his face moving with the dialogue. And then each little Jack head was numbered. So the animator would know, okay, I just put in, you know, number 22. Now I need to swap it out and I need to grab number 50 and then put that head on Jack. And they had it literally numbered for every single sec. Well, it wouldn't need me a whole second. It'd be like one twenty-fourth of a second, <laughs> which head was supposed to be on there. And then he blinks in there. So they would have to go in and add these little extra things to his eyeballs to make him blink. And you think it took about a second for him to blink or something. Yeah. Holy crap. And Sally kind of freaked me out. You should check it out because I because never Sally saw literally undoes her arm. I don't even know how they did that part, but for is her head. So I didn't see the doll with the hair attached, which probably I don't know if it would have helped. It probably made it worse, but they couldn't do the popping head thing with her because she had hair. I'm mm -hmm. like, who's bald? So literally her face popped off. So there's like a round thing with two giant eyeballs, literally, and they would bop the face off and switch it out that way. And it looks so weird when they do it. I was really kind of like, I wish I didn't see this part because it's so creepy. 
It's just eyeballs. And like I said, no hair or anything. So it's just, oh, yeah. You should check it out, though. It's, it's I, I, interesting. <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> All right, so when they made Think the eyes, <laughs> when they. When they made the puppets, they actually have these little like skeleton frames inside all of them, which make them bendy. And then it's like mm-hmm. a silicone mold that they made yeah. that went on top of it, right? So they can move and everything. Apparently, Oogie Boogie was the most difficult one to design since he's so big and he doesn't really have a shape. Like, I can see that because he's like a sack. So he's a sack of bugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I can understand being a little irritated with trying to create him. Yep. And they said something about when all the bugs and stuff fly out, that was difficult to do. And I didn't really see what exactly they, how they ended up doing that entire scene. But apparently they were not too happy with it when they wrote it in the script. They were going to have to make all these bugs fly out of him. Yeah, poor animators. Well, and at the end, his, his, I mean, are you talking about when his like, Sack gets taken off of him, and he's just a and he's a the pile bugs of bugs, and, like, and then they yeah. have to fall mm-hmm. into the molten lava. Sort. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Want to make sure that was the scene you were talking about? Yeah, and I'm sure that was difficult too. Yeah, probably. To film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially stop motion. Yeah. So yeah. Also, Disney was kind of upset that Jack did not really have eyeballs, and they wanted him to have eyes. And obviously, Burton and Selick were like. Nah. No. They didn't think he would be... I, they rely so much... Disney is very much relies on eyes for expressions and things. Mm-hmm. And I guess they didn't think Jack would be relatable. They were wrong. They were. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, before I go into the actual Disney of it all with this nonsense down here. This script, like we were talking about earlier. So, they had a script writer who was the same one... Is he from Edward Scissorhands? I think he was from Edward Scissorhands originally. They had him doing the adaptation. But it was not good. It was not working. So Danny Elfman's girlfriend, who was also a writer on Edward Scissorhands, actually wrote it. And her script is the one that got put into the movie. But she said it wasn't so bad because the songs tell most of the story, which makes sense. So what she had to do was not, you know... You just go in and kind of fill in the holes. And she created the character of Sally the way she is. Aww. Yeah, because originally they had Sally more as like a femme fatale, which I cannot imagine her being like that. What? No. Exactly. So she went in and was just like, you know, put herself more into the character. So Mm -hmm. made her the more, you know, she's kind of clumsy and she's trying to just escape and trying to figure out who she is. And it's so much better. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. think it's so much better yeah. the way it was. And I'm glad they had a woman come in and fix that because. Yeah, because if it was a guy, it probably would have ended up being a femme fatale. I mean, that's who started the script and that's where we were. So, And there's a Netflix special all about this. I think it's, it's fun to watch. Yeah. I watched it again last night. And they tell stories about Tim Burton coming to check out things on, on set and them sharing like story ideas and whatnot. And I can't remember what the specific one was that made him mad, but he once kicked a hole in the wall at the studio. Yeah. And apparently they like, they made it into a big joke. They like cut it out and framed it because he was the only celebrity that visited them (laughs) because they were so far away (laughs) from everybody. And it just, it's a funny story. And 
It just makes oh me laugh. Oh my goodness, that's funny. Tim because Burton he didn't like part of the story? Something that was going on. Yeah, he got very upset about it and he kicked a hole in the wall. Yeah. Tim Burton is an interesting person. He is. Yeah. So we'll go he on did. to the release of the film. Now, Disney, 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 Disney. Disney was producing this under itself. So the Walt Disney Pictures. Yes. And then they had a screening of the movie. And of course, <laughs> kids were kind of like, what is this? <laughs> Ironically, what's this? Hmm. Not too sure about it, right? It's an odd movie. And Disney was like, you know what? This is not a kid's film. It's got a PG rated or PG rating. It's it's not for kids. So we're going to move this, slide it over, and we're going to release it under Touchstone Pictures. Because we don't really want to be like 100% associated with it. Shady, Disney, shady. It gets worse. So, because wait, now wait, they're. What year did this come out? 93. I can't. I just watched a special trying to remember who the CEO was at that point. So I can tell oh, you. Oh, I have something. Uh, wait, no, I don't think it's in this one. No, it might be in this one. Hold on. Oh, it was Iger at that. No. Yeah. Wasn't it? Wait. Hold on, I'm trying to read my notes because I I can't I looked at so many movies yesterday I can't remember. Three ninety three. Oh, it was Michael Eisner. It was Eisner. Okay, it was Eisner. I don't I don't reference it in here, but I know I have him referenced in another. Maybe next week we'll talk about him. Yeah. Yes. So, so Eisner, Eisner, problem. Eisner, shady, shady, shady. Yes. So we have part of the problem here is because we we had a switchover, and I don't think from what I read Tim Burton was a. Yeah, of Eisner. Well, Eisner's, pro- I believe, the one who fired him because Eisner came around in '84. Was the CEO? Oh, oh, that's no. I do talk about him next week. Yes, you will chat about Eisner next week. So, Disney <clears throat> released the picture on two screens. Two, it's two, two, and it's not a typo. It is two on October fifteenth of that year. But the movie earned $95,000 per screen, which is the second biggest per screen average of all time behind the two screen debut of Aladdin the year before. So Aladdin only debuted on two screens as well. I'm assuming it was like a, maybe it was just like a special thing. They debuted on two screens and then they did a wider opening. I don't Rob. This is more Robbie's area for why they do the things they do. As movies. All right, whatever. Just, move on. Anyway, but yeah, keep in mind this was number two behind Aladdin at that time, and Aladdin which is amazing, like insane. Yes. So the next week they put it out on 563 Gosh. screens. No, cautious 563. I'm sorry. Screens. Yes, I can't remember what website I got this off of. Yes, it went out on a cautious, <laughs> cautious 563 screens the next week, racking up. 11,000 about per screen. So it made 6.2 million that weekend. I don't feel like that's that bad, but you know. No, they probably didn't even market it well anyway. Uh, They did not. No, we're getting into that. Trust me, it's coming. Okay. (laughs) Then the film went wide on 1,600 plus screens over Halloween weekend. Smart, makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it earned 8.2 million and topped the box office for two straight weekends. So the first weekend was 8.2. The second weekend was about 7 million. Nice. And again, they did not really market this. And why? Because they had no faith in it. 
and they had a big budget revamp of the three musketeers coming out on november 12th uh-huh. Uh-huh. why do people keep redoing three musketeers it's not uh-huh. that i this is not a movie that sticks out to me at this time so good job yeah. disney this one starred charlie sheen Kiefer sutherland and oliver platt and it was supposed to be the big holiday release for disney that year and it was the one that got to debut the legendary first teaser for the lion king which had the circle of life sequence that was how they advertised it so disney stuck everything with the three musketeers yeah so despite it had good reviews people liked the movie it had a good box office debut despite what they were doing with it and i did not realize this but apparently had an almost instant cult following so supposedly people started going back to the movie and showing up in homemade costumes of nightmare before christmas yes nice when it was still in theaters originally i did not oh, know that's that. quick yeah so that what does that tell i mean oh <sighs> disney so the nightmare before christmas barely crossed the 50 million dollar mark on its initial theatrical run and that's with okay here's the thing in my mind that's without marketing yeah because they, if didn't they marketed well. that sucker that yeah. they could have done almost 100 mil it would have easily done a lot especially releasing in october and halloween weekend it would have done a lot a lot it would have been so good yeah thankfully disney did realize their mistake later yeah so because now it's everywhere uh-huh and what i think is funny in the special that i watched danny elfman was talking about how 13 years later so that would put it around 2006 which would also be bob Iger's time he yeah Iger just started at that uh-huh so Danny and Tim were out in Japan and they were walking around one of the stores and they saw a bunch of Nightmare Before Christmas merchandise which they didn't even know about and they're just like what is what is what's this I okay 2006 I remember that surge in Nightmare Before Christmas mm-hmm. stuff because that was when I was in college uh-huh. and I was going and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, yes. there was Nightmare Before Christmas stuff yes. everywhere in the stores. I'm like, wait a yes. second, what is going on? Because that same year, Disney reissued yep. the Nightmare Before Christmas under Walt Disney Pictures. So Iger knew it was gonna be it was a it was a hit. Well, and they had what was around during this time frame between 1993 and. I can't remember the year it closed, but we had movie rentals. So Blockbuster, you could go and rent the DVD and VHS and everybody started watching the movie. It was getting a lot of pickup that way. A lot of popularity was building because of the because of the rentals. Mm-hmm. And Disney was like, hey, let's reissue it and we'll start putting on merchandise for it. And that was a very genius idea. We'll bring it out of the vault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Disney, thank you for finally getting your act together. Well, we needed the right CEO to get their act together. It's, it's all about who's running the show. I agree yeah, with you. I'm concerned. <sighs> so, <laughs> and just in case you've heard any rumors or anything about a sequel, no. Tim Burton has really adequately, repeatedly stated that he is against doing a sequel. He thinks it would ruin it. And yep. I agree. There's sometimes I go to a movie and I'm just like, oh, there has to be another one. But Nightmare Before Christmas. I just like, no, this is it. This can be the only 
version of this. There, we can't go in other lands. We can't see Jack wandering around other places. Like, no, yeah, it just would not work. Jack mind. taking over Easter? Yeah, no. So some other fun facts about the movie, if you haven't had enough already. <laughs> Jack Skellington made his first feature film appearance in Beetlejuice. He pops up. I don't know where he's at in the graveyard or something. I was going to rewatch Beetlejuice. Yeah. I didn't have time yesterday, so to try and find him. But he's in there somewhere. Well, and and what's his face? Beetlejuice wears a pinstripe suit, mm-hmm. just like Skellington in Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. There's so many times. To yes. But, well, okay. So Jack Skellington, speaking of his suit, originally was actually in an all-black suit. But... Hmm. The director wanted the character to stand out more because obviously the whole set was dark colored. Yeah. So he gave, he wanted them to have the white pinstripes added. So he stuck out more. And I'm just I like, okay. It. And now it's iconic, like you said, for his outfit. I like this one. So at the end of the movie, there are when the Christmas kind of comes and yeah. the vampires are playing hockey on an ice rink. They hit a pumpkin right to the camera because that's what their puck was. So originally... <sighs> It did not look like a pumpkin. It was a head that distinctly resembled Tim Burton. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yes. And I I read somewhere that they literally had it filmed and everything that way. And then they replaced it with the pumpkin. Because one of the producers told the director that they didn't think Tim Burton would like it. So it was changed. But Silic has since said that he wished he had just asked Tim Burton if he would have minded. And someone uh-huh. I feel like Tim would have been like, no, that's great. You can keep that in. It's like, go for it. <laughs> that's pretty freaking funny. <laughs> that's hilarious. And it would work great with Burton. Like, Burton has a horrific style to everything he does. Exactly. And that would be perfect. Yes. So, to me, that's super funny. So, the official soundtrack for the film has a whole epilogue, which features Santa returning to visit Jack years later. And apparently, Jack has become a father. Huh. And this is the official soundtrack. Huh. I know. That's interesting to me, too. And originally, they had Patrick Stewart (laughs) reading narration poetry that was basically just cut from the film. Huh. Entirely. Again. Interesting. Yeah, especially Stewart. Mm -hmm. And that can be found on the official soundtrack, so yeah. Let's see. Okay, so Jack had more than 400 heads. We were talking about that earlier. Yeah. 400. That's a lot. And Tim Burton specifically said that when they were creating Halloween Town, it could be black, it could be white, and it could have orange, and that's it. And no right angles. And that is what they had to work with when they were creating Halloween Town. Because I guess when they were showing him sketches and things, he was just like, no, 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 no. No colors. Black, white, and orange. The right right angle thing is what's messing with me. I mean, if you look, everything leans. It's funny shaped. Yeah, I kind of want to go back and watch it again just to see it. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Tim it Burton is. was very specific on that. So, oh my goodness. Okay, another fun fact. Mm-hmm. Vincent sure. Price. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so we're gonna talk about like the short Vincent next week. Yes. But the short Vincent was literally inspiration from the actor Vincent Price. Yes. If you have never heard of the actor Vincent Price, I'll talk to you more about him next week. Mm-hmm. But he is like this iconic 
poor actor, like voice, like he did narrations, he did acting, he did all the things. So he was actually supposed to be the voice of Santa Claus, but it didn't work out. Oh, I think I did read that somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. I'm like, ooh, that like it's because he actually worked with Burton a couple of times. Like even though mm-hmm. he was inspiration for Burton, Burton like looked up to him. He actually got to work with his hero, which is kind of cool. You know, this sucks. And I'm what? sorry to share this, but I think what I read and I didn't write it down because it made me sad was that the reason why Price and I'm not doing Santa was because like his wife had just died and they said he sounded yeah. too sad. Right. Okay. Yeah. Mm, that made me sad. It was sad. Sorry to share that with everybody. Yeah. It, and it was just, I should have laughed. It was this bird wife. Was it? it okay. Bird. Now that part I yeah. did not see. Yeah. Vincent, I did a lot of research on Vincent just to see oh. like where Tim got it from. And that was his third wife. Ah, okay. Yeah. He was married twice before and oh. she was, they were older when they got together. Oh, okay. I can't wait yeah. to hear more about this Vincent. I don't go into too much detail in the next episode because I kept it like on the video or on the short. But yeah, Vincent, he was like married three times, had two kids. Okay. Yeah. All right. He's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So share with me anything else, your opinions, whatnot, whatever. Yeah. Okay. So. I was re I want I rewatched it because it's one of my favorites. I watch it usually mm-hmm. every year, mm-hmm. and it didn't become one of my favorites until college because I just yeah. I don't think my parents like liked it. Oh, mine did not. <laughs> I can tell you that. Yeah. So when I was rewatching it, I was kind of paying more attention to Sally this time when I was watching it, mm-hmm. and I love her character, but I feel like there's so much that's missing. Like there's mm-hmm. so many plot holes with her. Like yeah. all of a sudden in the middle of the movie, she gets a premonition. You have no idea she can get premonitions. You have no idea she has magical powers. And then mm-hmm. it just happens. It's like, wait a second. She's in reanimated corpse. How does she have permission premonitions? So that bugged me. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that bugged me was, so Sally, I mean, I'm guessing he knows of Sally, but how they introduce the characters together is so weird because she like gives him a basket with like bread and fish and stuff before they even talk to each other. So you think she's stalking him and he like sees her and whatever. And then the next thing you know, he's like needing her to sew a Cena suit and they're like the bestest of friends. So it's like, I'm just, there's no backstory to these two and then at the end they fall in love and apparently they have children according to the soundtrack so so it's like i like sally but i'm Mm -hmm. so confused that's true there is bits and pieces missing from what is going on and that happens when you actually don't sit down and write out a script and re-edit it and re-edit it and make (sighs) sure everything flows so true (laughs) It's like, that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> and maybe they had more of her in it and some of it got cut. I don't Possibly. know. Because they did go away over their budget when they were filming this. Of course they did. They were given 18 million. This is kind of funny. So they were given 18 million. And the producer that was staying, that was with them at the studio, she had to go back mm-hmm. to Disney because they they were supposed to, at the beginning of the movie, you allocate where the money goes. And they couldn't do that because they were not prepared. So when they realized they were going to go over, she's like, okay, what could you cut? And of course they're like, nothing. This whole thing has to stay. And she's like, no, 
Like if it came down to it, what could you cut to get us to budget? So they gave the list. So she, being the crafty one she is, took the whole thing that was, it was like storyboards and stuff. It was not animated. Took it down to Disney and played them the whole movie. And they were like, okay. And she's just like, you like the movie? And they're just like, yeah, yeah, we like it. And she said, okay, that's $24 million right there. So she said, we have to cut A, B, C, D. And then Disney was like, "Uh, okay, here's the other six million. Go ahead, go finish it. That's funny, I'm sorry. Mm. I like her, (laughs) whoever Mm. she is, I like her. Yes, I wish I could remember her name, but she was, she's great. She's in the, the Netflix special and I liked her part. I'm just like, you can go. You go, you go girl. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Other than other than those like little plot holes with mm-hmm. Sally, I, I think it's a great movie. Like you get to mm-hmm. see, like he he realizes there's something missing in his life and he's missing joy. And that comes from Christmas. Like mm-hmm. we look at Christmas as a joyful holiday and Halloween is supposed to be a scary holiday. So it kind of talks into the fact that we need more in our life than just one dimension of emotions that we can we can experience all different things to have a full life we need to experience more than just one thing to Mm -hmm. to have a full life and and i i love that oh my gosh what what was the the mayor the mayor's hilarious with the switching of heads i like the the two-faced thing yeah Mm-hmm. Oogie Boogie was a great villain. He's mm-hmm. scary and funny at the same time. Yes. I mean, there are points where I look at it. I'm like, you could have done more with, they probably could have done more with, I don't know. There's like little things that I'm like, I would have rewritten it different, mm-hmm. but that's just my my literary brain going into right. the fact that again they didn't have a finished script they just mm-hmm. went with it and yep. it's like well if we would have polished it here and polished it there but i mean you don't need any polishing it's a great cult classic that mm-hmm. everyone's gonna love and enjoy for a long time i agree mm-hmm. if for some reason they ever got burton to actually do a sequel i feel like it should be a prequel mm-hmm. showing how maybe jack became the, the pumpkin, pumpkin king or mm-hmm. How Sally can something, something pre. Mm-hmm. I could see that. More that would be like the only way they could do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's the only way they could do it. I agree. But yeah, it's 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 a good movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think the thing about stop motion, which goes back to his inspirations, is it like stands the test of time. Just like two D mm-hmm. animation, you never get tired of seeing it. It's never. Yep something that you can date. And I love that about, even though stop motion takes forever and a day to do, (laughs) I think it's just so cool when it's finished because it looks like a cartoon, but it's literally these actual 3D models that are Mm -hmm. acting everything out. And the music, the fact that Danny Elfman just created all of those songs and he didn't have a lot to go on, I think is amazing. Yes. Like when you're sitting there, it's like every single song in there is catchy and like Mm -hmm. iconic to the movie. Honestly, Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone references like, what's this? But honestly, Mm -hmm. every song in there, I think is just amazing. Mm -hmm. And I love Oogie Boogie's song. Yeah. Just the vibe of it. And then with him dancing around with Santa, I just think that's great. Mm -hmm. And the the one where um, the kids are going to go kidnap Sandy Claus. 
That's yeah. something though. I'm like, no wonder my parents didn't like it. Cause when you really, really think about it, it's horrible. All the things they're talking about doing to Santa to yep. torture him. Oh, it's yeah. That's hilarious. But I get, I get why my parents were not a fan for sure. When I watched the movie, when I was younger and I mm-hmm. mean, honestly, cause there's like one scene I always look up and it's terrible. But if I'm like doing other stuff, like I was just doing when I was watching it, they get to Jack is handing out the presents as Santa Claus mm-hmm. and the parents come and there's like the one little kid with the box. And they're like, what did you get? And he pulls a head out of the box. Yep. That's yep. The shrunken head. For. Yes. That always cracks me up and it's so creepy, but it's one of those things I always like, that's one of those things I always look up and I'm like, Oh, there's the head. Okay. <laughs> Let me go back to what I was doing. Now. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely, I've seen the movie like a million times and I never get tired of watching it. It's, yeah. It's forever going to be on my list for Halloween and Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. I have. So my, she's a newer coworker. She's only been here a couple, maybe, I don't know how long she's been here, but she, mm-hmm. she started this year. Mm-hmm. She is a huge Disney fan. And actually I'm going to shout her out. Hi, Hope. I know you're listening because she is literally binging our whole, like mm-hmm. everything right now. And it makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. Cause she thinks we're hilarious. <gasps> we have a fan who thinks we're hilarious. Like we always talk about, Thank are goodness. we hilarious? She's like, Thank you guys goodness. are hilarious. I'm like, yes. Thank we're not just like, goodness. it's not just us. Throw and smoke. Mm-hmm. But she's a huge nightmare before Christmas fan. And she actually mm-hmm. did probably cause she's a fan know about like Tim Burton, not actually directing it. Mm-hmm. And she like, she, and she's not the only person I know, but I I've met like nightmare before Christmas fanatics. Mm-hmm. One of my old bosses like has, has Sally tattooed either on her arm or leg or something. Wow. And mm-hmm. people, it's just, it, it's, I don't know if it's just the way that Tim kind of shows the world in a dark way or the story or well, because it's not that princess. Exactly. Ah, sort of deal. I, but it's just, it's just a, cl- he's, he's created this classic genre around him that mm-hmm. will stand the test of time like i i feel like we'll be talking about tim burton years and years after he's mm-hmm. gone years after we're gone sort of deal yeah. like it's always going to kind of be there well what i saw in the special when they were kind of talking about the impact of the movie and everything one of the big points that they made was that they were a bunch of misfits who all got, got together in this little studio out in the bay area and they made a movie for misfits and i was just like that's probably a big part of why it resonated with people and that's not what disney at that time really picked up on does that remind you of something else we've talked about this year hmm i wonder where else did the misfits go (laughs) i'm actually Uh, wearing the shirt Huh. But it's true. Like there's something about when you have the mis the the disenfranchised mm-hmm. people in Hollywood come together and create something that actually the rest of the world's like, yes, we feel the same way. Mm-hmm. And I think Hollywood forgets that they're really just a little tiny blip on mm-hmm. this huge map yes. where they only live one way and the rest of us live a totally different way. Mm-hmm. And they forget that because they're in this bubble. So okay. when we have these people who like us try to go into 
this world. And they say, yeah, no, you're not like us. It's like, uh, duh, because I'm in the right, the rest of the world. So I'm going to go do my own thing and they're going to like it more than you. Ha! Mm-hmm. And that's what happened with George Lucas. And that's what's happened with Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. He found his people, which is a lot of us yes. <laughs> out here. So yes, lots of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything else about Nightmare Before Christmas? No, I don't have anything else to add. I I don't either. So yeah, thanks for listening. We would love to hear your ideas and thoughts about Nightmare Before Christmas. Go on Instagram, let us know. We'll try to put up some story polls and stuff and like favorite characters and different things Mm -hmm. for this. But comment, we have a bunch of, we have random Instagram posts about Nightmare Before Christmas. So just tell us what you love about it, what you, where it, resonated with you and and different things. If you want to, if you would like to share, we'd love to hear your comments. Love to talk to you about it more via social media, or if you want to come, oh wait, no, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's Sammy's deal. So Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Uh but Sammy, how else can they interact with us? Go to limitlessbroadcasting.com. And we have information about our Patreon account there. If you go to patreon.com backslash limitless broadcasting, donations are always appreciated. And some of them get you prizes to hang out with us. So go check that out. And please also check out our Kickstarter. It's kickstarter.com. Look for Dupla City, D-O-O-P-L-A City. We're still running that as well. It's a new cartoon we're producing. And you can see all sorts of information about that on the website as well. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Bye, Bye, Pixie Dusters. Thanks for listening to the Pixie Dust Twins, Sammy and Ashley. Make sure you like, follow, and subscribe to the Limitless Podcast Network's own channel, Instagram, and all things social media. And we'll see you all real soon.